episode 291 of the Global From Asia podcast, talking about multiple channels for marketing, not just relying on one. Welcome to the Global From Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight up actionable advice. And now your host, Michael Michelini. You know, preparing for these little intros and outros for each show, you know, this is usually a few days before the podcast goes live, and it's been a rough few days. I'm getting choked up thinking about it, but I think if you've been following my story, I'm here down in Manila, spending some time hustling with the Alpha Rock team, and my wife's dealing with her mom, dealing with cancer in China, like we agreed, and then this coronavirus popped up out, you know, it's... It's been uh, talked about for a little while, but as of now, mid mid to end of January 2020, it's become a massive nightmare. Uh, flights are being canceled. Things are getting shut down. I uh, I talked to her on WeChat just uh, a few hours ago with video, and they're like, uh, it's almost like a quarantine in their uh, complex. She's up in Shenyang, and everybody's fine. Everybody's safe and healthy. Uh, but basically, they can't leave or enter that apartment compound, you know. There's like, a, I don't know, 10, 15 buildings, you know, and the gates. Uh, they're really strict about entering or exiting the compound. And uh, it seems like it's really spreading bad. And I don't know, what am, what am I supposed to do? Of course, go back. They It's quarantined. I can't even enter if I wanted to. And uh, I don't know, it makes you think. Like, should I have left my wife and kids in China? I mean... Something we had talked about. Now, uh, it's really scary, honestly, but don't want to harp on this too much. Let's get into the show. This week is a, it's a good one. We had a lot of a really good conversation. Davis Nugan, he is a my consulting offer uh, expert. This guy is a marketing expert, growth hackers, maybe what you can call it. And he is sharing with us some insights about how to how he's done it and how others can scale up and really grow their business um and not rely on one especially amazon sellers and others are just doing amazon ppc and and hoping that works but this this show gets you some ideas and insights so let's let's take it away and if you want to hang out after i'll uh, i'll share some of my experiences with this coronavirus and also some marketing channels you know in a blah 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 session thanks let's tune into the show are you looking for something awesome to do in the mid of November? We have our fifth annual cross-border summit, and it seems like it worked out. We moved it to Thailand, Chiang Mai, Thailand. The venue's all set up, and it's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, tickets are not yet open, but definitely save the date. We would love to have some of you there. Members have first opportunity, and... We want to get some amazing people. A lot of the guests that we've been talking to are totally interested to come and speak. We have just an amazing lineup about cross-border e-commerce, cross-border business between Asia and the world. Hope to see you there. Thank you, everybody, for choosing to listen to another Global from Asia podcast. We're getting up to the 300 number, but uh, and it just keeps getting better and better. And today we have a good one. Tommy Griffith uh, was also on the show earlier and connected us to Davis Nugent. Thanks for being here, Davis. No, Mike. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. And then episode three hundred. Wow, I, I'm honored. Yeah. Well, maybe not exactly three. I, I, uh, I think we're getting almost there. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's an honor to have you, man. I'm glad you're honored to be on. Um, so there were so many things we could talk about. 
uh, we do have time. I, you might maybe be invited again because I feel like there's so much we could talk about and so many just amazing value you could share. But um, so maybe you could also, before we dive in, we're going to talk about growth channels and, and maybe where your competitors aren't looking as our topic. But before we get into it, you're from your company's My Consulting Offer. Um, do you want to give a little bit of background about yourself and, and what you do? Sure, absolutely. And uh, before I give a overview of my consulting offer, I'll give a little brief information about my, my own family history, as well as how we ended up at my consulting or how I ended up at my consulting offer to give a little bit of context sure. about the history and then give the viewers a, or to what the, the listeners a preview of what to expect. Or if they're like, Oh, nope, not interesting to me, they can turn off and watch a better episode. The, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my so I grew up in the United States. My family's originally from Vietnam, escaped from the political, they were political refugees from the Vietnam War. And why this is so important is that when you're a political refugee, you don't really quick figure out what you get to do when you get to the United States. So we were lucky enough to settle down in an area south of Atlanta. And my, my parents, my grandparents moved with my parents here and my uncles, they were all basically laborers when they started. So you can imagine like we were working in the factories, we were working in the like my grandma was the baggage carrier at delta for the hartsfield airport back in atlanta so basically all manual type labor but my my grandma decided well the real path to being able to provide for your family was through entrepreneurship it's kind of like high risk high reward so my, my grandma took all the money that she saved up from carrying the bags at delta for a number of years and actually opened eventually opened up a, a nail salon in our in south side atlanta which at the time didn't have any and the, the reason why this is so Interesting is that my grandma had never done nails before. She just knew that. I was like, oh, well, I can learn how to do this, to do manicures and pedicures. And it was also in the south side of Atlanta, which back it's, nowadays is a little safer, but back then it wasn't the safest area. And earlier on, my, my grandma really inspired me this idea of entrepreneurship because it's kind of like you're providing a service that doesn't exist. And it's kind of like my grandma wished that somebody could do manicures and pedicures for her. And that's how she got started. But what really resonated with me is that during the first couple of years, so I was, I was a toddler during this time, so under five, but my grandma would open the store and a couple of things would happen. Like she faced everything that an entrepreneur would normally face. Like, for example, not knowing your market, having these difficult decisions, not having enough capital. But more importantly than that was that the, the market she was operating in also made it hard for her. Like, for example, I remember sometimes when my grandma would describe these conversations years later that there, when she first opened, she was robbed like twice. As in this little woman was robbed like at gunpoint twice for the, the store just because we're in a bad part of the, the neighborhood and she's also really easy pickings, right? Because again, mm. immigrant, very tiny woman. And of course, people stole from her, employees stole from her. It's like figuring all these things out. And it was a one time I remember that the store actually burnt down because of arson as well. Somebody in the neighborhood did not want us to be there. And But every single time, my grandma would just pick up the pieces and literally reopen up the next week despite everything that was happening. And it really instilled in me that if we can make it happen, if, if my grandma could do that for our family, then I should be able to do it. And my grandma's goal, of course, was to provide a better future for my cousins and I, her grandchildren, to be able to go into education. And unfortunately, the school system we grew up in was actually called the worst school system in the US. So I, my, my, high, my high school and my school system, we literally ranked at the bottom of everything Jeez. because of where we were growing. We were mostly minority, single parent households, including myself. And it was just like, if you put a bunch of minorities, African-Americans, Hispanics, and then political refugees in the area, it's kind of like we don't have someone to teach us what exactly you're supposed to do. Like my grandparents didn't finish high school. My mom didn't finish third grade. So it's not like education was instilled in me versus the thing. But I always thought that education was the way out, which I still think is today. So 
but I always had this dream that I would go to a really good university because I didn't even know what universities were because my grandma was like, oh yeah, I guess you're supposed to go to college. I think that's what you're supposed to do. And I was like, well, okay, well, if college is what I'm going to do, okay, I'm going to do it. Like, Trust grandma. Grandma knows what she's doing. I mean, she survived gunpoint and a fire, so she knows what she's doing. Yeah. And so uh, I, I, I wanted to go to the best universities. I remember asking, asking people, what are the best universities? And I remember watching TV and these two names always popped up, which was Harvard and Yale. I have no clue what they are, but I'm like, okay, people talk about Harvard, Yale, something about the presidents being at Harvard and Yale. Okay. I guess I want to be there as in, I don't know how hard it is, but coming from this low income background, eventually this is another whole story for a different time, but long story short, I figure out a way to get into both Harvard and Yale, despite going up in this low income community where people don't go to college and I eventually get full scholarships to both Yale and Harvard ended up choosing Yale because well, part of it is I like blue, the color blue. And also second is just, <laughs> I felt the culture was there. So, uh, when, when I, so when I was at Yale, and this gets into the business, is that I never had mentors up to that point because my, my community is kind of like very isolated. Like think of it this way. When people think of lawyers, I thought, oh, divorce lawyers, injury lawyers? Yeah, we have plenty of those back home. Why are you going to Harvard Law School or Yale Law School to be a divorce lawyer? I did, had no clue. Or like people would say, oh, I want to be in banking. I was like, wait, but I have high school friends who didn't go to college. They're like bank tellers right now making $11. Why, why do you want to go to Yale just to make, so I was so out of it, right? In terms mm. of the, the realm. But one of the things I was out of the realm of was what's called consulting. And consulting is basically what we do at my consulting offers. We help people get into a job called management consulting. So for anyone who, who's listening, who've never heard of management consulting is think of it as it's simply like a SWAT team for business. So for example, if the CEO of Pepsi or the CEO of Coca-Cola or Apple, Google, or wherever needs help, with a business problem they can't solve, they will hire in a consulting team to come in and just basically solve their problem. And that was the job, first job I had out of college was working at a company called Bain & Company as a management consultant. And why it's so hard is that a lot of Ivy League students and students from other top universities want this because you're at 2021, 20, you're already making like six-figure job or six-figure career in USD. And by the time you're 30, you're making like half a million dollars. And this is before bonuses and things like that. So it's like a very lucrative career. I think somebody told, modeled this out where like the average lifetime earnings of a management consultant, even if you only do that for two to three years, is about $8 million in income over your lifetime, which is like way above average, right? And of course, saving money is different from earning money, but that's a different conversation. But that's that's basically the career I had was I worked in consulting at Bain & Company for two years after graduation from Yale. And then, but I always had this inkling for being an entrepreneur similar to my grandma, but I used consulting to build up that skill set that I, my grandma would have wished she had like exposure to cutting costs, exposure to launching new mm. products and eventually worked at Bain for two years and then left Bain to join an education startup. So I've always wanted to work in education. Like my summer internships were all education in college because I always believed that education allowed me to get to where I was at Yale and I wanted to be able to provide educational opportunities. So I ended up joining a education tech company down in LA called Jump Cut which is one of the best companies I've worked for to date. And this is guess where my, my love for growing, growing businesses and basically growth channels comes to be is at the time jump cut. We were, we would just finished Y Combinator, which is an incubator for startups, but we weren't profitable. Like most startups, we just had like venture capital, like, Oh, somebody else is paying for our debt right now. And we needed to figure it out within a span of a year. I, the team and I, we, we basically, I was in charge of, first Facebook ads and YouTube ads and learning how to scale those. And we basically used Facebook and YouTube ads, but we found ways that no one else was using Facebook and 
YouTube. And we were able to, even though it's a competitive space for education as everyone who's reading this or listening to this knows, but we were able to scale from like six figures to eight figures within a year, just using purely Facebook and YouTube. We were profitable. So that was the, the, the venture of it was just YouTube and Facebook. But under that, when the business wasn't profitable, I was still supporting my family back at home. So my grandma's now retired. So I take some of the financial burden to support my mom and my grandparents and so forth. And so what I did was while Jump Cut was still trying to figure out how to be profitable, I started a side business, which at the time had no name, side hustle there. But I was, <laughs> the job was super easy. How do we get people into management consulting, the job I had prior? And how I scaled it was basically using platforms and we'll hopefully talk about this but no one yeah, else was using yeah. none of my competitors were using and then we basically scaled that up and eventually became my full-time job a year later exciting exciting man yeah it sounds i mean i guess the paraphrase is growth hacking is that is that the word you want to use <laughs> are you a fan of the word i I'm a, I'm a fan of the word growth hacking as long as you as long as it's sustainable so for example i I've, i'll tell you I've, I've done a couple of growth hacks for our business at jump cut that like basically spikes it up for let's say a month but then afterwards you're back to where you were which is like i i love the word growth hacking but better is can i make it sustainable yeah i i'm i think i'm on your side it's kind of gotten overused you know there's even people that put growth hacker on their resumes and stuff it's yeah i agree it doesn't sound like a sustainable i'm a i'm a fan of evergreen you know like finding a channel finding a business model that's sustainable long-term defensible for sure right um but yeah so so yeah, you talked about a lot, man. I already got some good good ideas, and uh, I like I said before we start recording. I think you know a lot of our listeners are, are product based businesses or FBA sellers, e commerce sellers. Um, of course, interested in business with Asia. Obviously, even your story of of Vietnam and going back, you know, your family would be amazing discussion. But today we're talking about you know growth hacking or finding these new growth channels. I and uh, literally I was saying some of our some people I was just talking to recently said, oh, I'm getting crushed. I'm, I'm, everybody's on Amazon PPC. Everybody's bidding up, bidding up, bidding up. I, I have no margin left, right? So yeah, I think this is a really timely, uh, timely discussion that we have because uh, I think everywhere margins are getting squeezed. PPC is going up, right? Absolutely. Like for example, yeah, even if you look at Facebook ads and I don't need to rehash this, but like even three years ago, it was like a third of the same price it is for their CPM for the same audience, which is like insane. Same, of course, like across all of the major platforms. And it's, it's the way that I think about it is like, if it's easy for you to do, somebody else is going to come in and do it as well. Right. And cut yeah. the margins out. Yep. Yep. Same with like Google ads. I, I, I think I'm reading, uh, I'm reading, I've read so many things. I can't remember where I read it, but you know, the penny bids back in the day with Yahoo, I think it was overture. I don't know if that's something you're, or, um, you know, Yahoo ads and of course Google ads, penny or nickel bids. That's like not even existing anymore, maybe, but, uh, but yeah, I know it's so, so that's why I think, um, that's what we know. So let's just say, how do we know when to even look for, how do we even know it's too competitive? I guess, look at our margins, look at our uh, price per click, our conversion rates. I guess, when do we start to say this one is, uh, I need to find a new channel? So I guess, it, I guess we'll talk about the strategies behind it first when I think about new channels. And then we'll talk about the, the actual tactics of it. But sure. I think the... The, the analogy I'll use is that it's similar to asking you, when's the best time to dig a well? The answer is probably before you need a drink of water. 
So I think the mistake that I I see a lot of us make who are a business owner is that we wait until it's too late and then you start panicking. And it's kind of like you see your margins go, but you're like, oh my gosh, where do I go next? Do I go to Twitter? Do I go to Instagram? Or where do I go? And it just stresses you out. But imagine Mm. if like six months earlier, you already had a platform in place. It keeps it a lot calmer. Right as you go down, so I think the the short answer is that you should be building it before you need it. But this it comes with a caveat, which is that I think about businesses in where they are on their stage of life. So if you're just starting out, like you're going from zero to your first dollar or first hundred dollar, first thousand or whatever, then you just need to find one platform. Like you don't need to defend anything because you're literally defending your livelihood every single day with your one platform. But if we're talking about more established businesses, let's say like you're an eight figure e commerce business who, well, I'm I'm pretty lucky. I'm in Chiang Mai, so I get to hang out a lot of e-commerce and so forth, FBA and so forth. And that's one of the things is that they're always looking for the new channel. And I think that's correct is that you have your one channel that might be evergreen, but they all realize, shoot, Davis, my margin just went down. Like I've like, even this week alone, I talked to two people who are both FBA and they unfortunately are close to like shutting down their, their offer or at least just letting it run it because competitors are coming in much cheaper. Margins are down. And mm-hmm. the thing that they, they always tell me is like, man, I wish I had another channel. Cause now I'm like panicking to find one. Yeah. I might not find one. Yeah. And I think, so I think the best time is if you're first starting out, find your first channel, but if you're already doing well and you think you're sitting on your loins, chances are, if it's easy enough to defend and you're not checking it every week, that means there's somebody in your competitive space is coming in. So I did that exactly when I was at jump cut was that we, even though we did like info product courses and we're doing education courses, there are plenty of other competitors like masterclass. You have their, you have all these other people. And then this is before we talk about like the internet marketers, like you have your set ovens and so forth. Like we had all these people coming in playing for the same category, but I had to figure out what angles can I take? What niches can we take to explode it? And if you're not, if you're basically sitting on Amazon or sitting on Facebook, chances are if somebody is as ambitious as you were when you started your business, somebody's trying to crawl at you. I mean, yeah. our competitors are doing the same thing for our business right now. So I know this for experience is that if you sit there for long, sooner or not, you might not just have it. Or if someone wants a longer version of this, there's one of my favorite books is Who Moved My Cheese? Okay. That is like literally the whole premise of the book is that you're eating at this piece of cheese as a mouse and if sooner or later somebody moves it and you're like panicking. But had you saw the signs earlier, you would have moved. Got it. I like I'm taking notes. So uh, for the show notes, as always, we try to link as many as we can or at least as many as I can type. <laughs> oh, yeah. Feel free. I, I'll happy to say if you missed anything, I would send an email and then follow up on those as well. I want to make sure that, that any listener has all the resources and so forth. That Thank you so much, Funny, really. Um, so, yeah, Move, Move My Cheese sounds great. I, I, I'm adding that to my list. I think I've heard of it, but I haven't gotten that one yet. But so, so let's, yeah, let's move forward. I like, so basically my summary, my takeaway here is, yeah, if you're just starting out, just start with one channel find, hopefully it's a clear, obvious channel. Maybe even if it's, even if it's a com, I mean, maybe I don't want to know how technical I should get, but like uh, Amazon. So I guess you still do Amazon PPC, even though it's kind of saturated, even if you're just starting, or would you start with some kind of like new growth channel that maybe we'll talk about later? Sure. So if, 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 well, I guess two stages, right. Is that one, if you're starting out a new business, it's always like, a, we talked about this over email. So I like the book traction yeah, and there's, yeah. a, there's a whole chapter on it. Like both books have talked about this. So if anyone's yeah, like, which traction, there's like, which both of them. Yeah. We'll link both traction books. <laughs> and they, they talk about in the book, both have to talk about, you need to find basically that your platform, their first platform that scales. And so when you're first starting a business, it's just finding one, like for us, it was Reddit. When we first started my consulting offer, for me, it was like spending time on Reddit, getting to know that community just because I was a member of it. And 
second was as we started growing and we started noticing like, for example, oh, other people notice that Reddit's being used as well. We probably should find other platforms as well. And it's kind of like not abandoning what you have, but monitoring it as you're starting to diversify your, it's similar to how you would treat your money in real life is you don't want to have it all in your business when you're big enough. Like you want to have it in various different types of investments. Same idea with yep. ads is you want to diversify your risk. Agreed. Agreed. And, uh, so let's let's move well let's talk about these two books so i yeah we talked about in the show notes there's the one i i know i've read both and yeah i think both are great the one i brought up first that i think is most relevant to today's discussion is the author's gabriel weinberg where he says mm-hmm. traction how to how any startup can achieve explosive customer growth um because basically he's going through the process of identifying the sales channel measuring it deciding to keep it it's been a while since I read it, but you know, basically deciding to stay with that channel or, or go to another channel, if I remember correctly. Yep, that's right. And he, he, I think he, he gives you a list of like 20 to start off with. Yeah, it goes through all these different channels. So yeah, I, I like, and then your other takeaway is thinking of it just like investing in the stock market or investing in product to sell online or services that you might offer. A channel is the same kind of an investment, right? So if you only have one channel of sales, it's uh it's it's not so diversified so it has a higher risk whereas if you're multi-channel which is a dream especially for e-commerce sellers i mean honestly so many sellers do want to get off amazon it seems like it's been a trend the last couple of years how do i get off amazon or not as dependent on amazon um as they pull these tricks where they start sticking your competitors all over your listing you know increasing fees things like that um so let's let's uh Let's go to your question. I like that you suggested even how do I overcome analysis paralysis and just start testing? (laughs) So this is a common problem. I think a lot of people have, especially when you're a little bit more established. So when you're a little bigger, and I I wonder if you resonate to it. This is what happens to me. Like think about like two years ago, what people were talking about, like, oh, mini chat is the future. But then people are like, wait, how do you set up a mini chat and so forth? But nowadays (laughs) I'm like, obviously I talk with the people in mini chats like, holy crap, David, they're about to charge you per message. I was like, Oh, yeah. So shiny object syndrome, right? But now you're getting hit with so many different types of ads. Like, for example, if you're a new company, you're like, hey, do I think about Amazon? Do I, do I just use Amazon ads? Do I go to Facebook? Do I go on YouTube? Davis is about to talk to me about Reddit and Quora. And then there's like a bunch of other ones. And you kind of like spin your head around, what do you do with this? And so my, my whole thinking is that before we even talk about how I think about the strategy behind which platform to explore is Sometimes the best answer is not in your head. It's just to test it. It's yeah. just to put like $30, whatever it is, on a day and see what happens. Agreed. Yeah, I think uh, it's same with the podcast. I know listeners are listening and they're taking notes or reading a book or taking a course. You know, of course, learning is important and I hope they're getting, I'm sure they're getting value today, but nothing's going to happen if you don't t- take action, which is like you said, just throw 30 bucks, put a budget. I mean, honestly, it's, I don't want to say cheap, but it's still relatively cheap online advertising or you can at least control your budget, control your spend, right? So you should just, um, maybe maybe that's a good follow-up question for me. Like how much either money or time should you put at a, at a channel before you look at, look at the results or, the, or make a decision? Sure. So I'll, I'll give you the nerdy Davis answer and then I'll give you the simplified answer for anyone who doesn't <laughs> okay. want to do the nerdy approach. The nerdy approach is that every platform, you can calculate the statistical significance of it and figure out if you have enough big enough sample size. So I won't give a lecture here. Otherwise, we'll be here for like an hour on this. But anyone can look up statistical significance or if you're 
it or it's a in the marketing world it's basically just a b split testing but it's, it's a derivative of that and it's just i will spend enough money on a platform until i reach statistical significance where where basically the math tells me all right davis mathematically 95 percent sure that this will work or this will not work but in other terms in simpler terms it's basically meaning that you have enough big enough sample size where you feel okay so Oh, wow. I, for example, let's imagine that you're, let's say, using Reddit ads for the first time. It's kind of like sending enough traffic to your listing page and figuring out how many people buy. If you're like spending 20 bucks, and you already have like one or two purchase. You're like, oh, this actually could be viable. Let me pick it up. Versus if you spend like 20 bucks over a week, so you have like 120 bucks, 140 bucks spent, and you still don't have a purchase, probably the answer is that's not it. But if you're, so the, the way I like to think about it, course a lot of books like traction talk about this is mapping out each part of your of your of your funnel if you will it's like at the top am i getting enough reach at this platform because if the platform only has let's say if you're doing reddit but your let's say your your service is you trade you you buy let's say coin collector little devices but if there's only 100 people you can target that's probably not the answer because there's only even if you sold all 100 that's only a one-time growth hack it can't be sustained and then, but let's imagine that the audience is big and they see your ad, but they don't click on it. Then the problem is either you're targeting the wrong or your messaging is wrong. But let's fix that. Once you fix that, then it should be on your page. And then of course, if you go on Amazon, a little different from if you're going on your own site. But then is the copy right? Is the checkout page right? Are you targeting the right people? And that's how I think about it is I, I usually spend, and it really depends on the platform. Like for example, something like Reddit, you can actually suspend 30 minutes to get set up really super, super simple. Cause there's only a couple of functions they have versus something a little bit more complicated. Like let's say you were doing LinkedIn or you were doing Facebook. There's a lot more custom audiences. There are all these other functions and targeting method. And you're like, Oh, so goal setting and things versus Reddit. It's like, Oh, it's all the same. So how much time you spend should be dependent on the platform. But before you decide the platform, I would think about two things is, and this helps with the paralysis analysis here, analysis paralysis. It's one, I always think about where can I get the biggest reach of my audience of people who are actually willing to buy. So this doesn't mean that I want to target all 7 billion people in the world. It's more of if I could target seven people who are just going to buy everything that works too. Like, where am I going to get like the, the crazy audience who are really love what we're doing? Like they really believe in you and you believe in them. And then second is what's the potential ROI on it? Like, for example, you could do Amazon, but if Amazon, if all your competitors are on Amazon and they're squeezing out your margin, even if it's a large audience, you're probably not going to get a big size of the pie versus if you go somewhere that let's say has a 10th of the size of the Amazon audience, but you know, you can capture, let's say 80% of the share, the click shares, I will always go for that just because I know that my margin is going to be safe, at least for now, before all these other competitors come yeah. in and they're like, oh, I got to go on to the next one. Got it. No, oh, thanks for this. So giving us both nerdy and normal answers. So I appreciate it. Um, let me see. So it's similar, but there's also the opposite, right? Doing too many channels at the same time. Uh, maybe just start with one, decide to continue or not and move to the other. Or sounds like I heard the other trick, the word uh, spinning plates, you know, try to get one plate going, one channel going right. And then go to the next channel. Is that, is that, Oh, that's a, that's a good analogy. I haven't heard of that one, but that's a, a little bit of what we do here actually is that I always think about when we first started, I just wanted to have one good platform. That's why I said going from zero to one, you should find just a one platform to start with, because I will tell you, it's like, it's hard managing one platform. If anyone's ever managed, like actively managed a platform, not like agency manages or like you're looking at it once a week, but you're like trying to tweak the copy and things like that. It takes, a while of your time. So imagine having 10 of those at once. That's hard. But if you have it like 
spinning, I would do that. So, or yeah, like the, the spinning plate example, I, my, my whole thing is I always focus on one new channel at a time in addition to the ones that are working just yep. to see what's going on. Because I think that's one of the lessons we learned when I was at jump cut is that we used to do so many ads at once, but it was hard to see what was working. For example, we were doing Twitter, we were doing Instagram, we were doing AdWords, we were doing YouTube, Facebook, and a bunch of other ones that we were doing. I think we, at one point on the plate, it was like Snapchat and uh, radio ads and things like that. But it's like really hard to control and be good at it. It's kind of like the, the metaphor I like to use is that if you haven't figured out what you're good at yet, you're basically like trying to be a buffet. It's like a Chinese buffet. I love my Chinese buffets, the US Chinese buffet. Yeah, those American ones. Yeah. The American ones. So not the ones in China. Those are great. But like the, the ones in the US where they, they're not great for everything, but you go in, they're like hey, a little decent. But I, my whole philosophy is I don't want to be a Chinese restaurant. I literally want to be known for that one thing. Like for example, let's say Chinese restaurant, for some reason they have sushi which I have no clue why it's not even the same country, but let's discuss it for another time. But it's like, if I want sushi, I want to go to a sushi restaurant. So I want to be the sushi restaurant who's really good at that. And then after I've mastered the sushi, maybe then I'll open up a ramen shop or a chicken shop or whatever. But it's like, I want to keep it separate versus trying to try everything at once. Well, yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Um, I hope I can sneak in some questions, maybe not on the outline, but I'm thinking of tools I'm sure listeners, it's probably a common question to get, like, everybody wants to know the tools. So is there some, of course, there's obviously analytic, Google Analytics or some kind of analytics, pixels, of course. Um, is there tools that you use or would recommend for, for, for these? Yeah, absolutely. So I will, I'll, I'll recommend it in the three stages of a business. So I'll, from, from experience, like going from zero to one, then we'll go to scale. And then when you have like multiple tracks, so I'll tell you, like, you're basically trying to find your one channel. Then you're trying to go for like, let's say you have two channels and then you have like three or four channels. We'll talk about that. Okay. So when you're first starting your first channel, the simplest one is just use the dashboard because again, you know when a sale is coming. So if you're using Facebook ads and the Facebook pixel says you had seven conversions, but really you had nine conversions, you know you had nine because there's only no other source. You don't have, you don't have Google SEO. You don't have any of these other things going on. So in the beginning, just keep it simple. Use the dashboard. But in second, once you get to one or two channels, then that's when Google Analytics, as well as just having a Google Sheet, comes in play. As in, there are little things. There are things you can do. Like for example, you can do Zapier, which is one of my favorite tools to use. Yeah. The Zap data, so you don't have to do it manually. Totally fine. And then once you start getting to more platforms, that's when it gets messy. Where like the first year, it was like I knew all my traffic came from, for example. Reddit or referrals. Second year, it's kind of like, okay, it's Reddit, Quora, some of the school leads. I know exactly where they're coming from. And then nowadays we're starting to enter more where we have like Google search, we have all these other things. And I've, I haven't gone to this platform, but a lot of my friends as well as we started using an earlier version at JumpCut is there obviously, I think most listeners have heard of Wiki reports. Wiki reports also will help you out with tracking multiple sources. And from the, and from the people who are like basically the CMOs, heads of marketing for a bunch of startups as well as companies that are using wiki reports they really like it but again it's like i looked at the database and it's like pretty heavy but there's one that we we're testing right now funnelytics which i thought which oh, i think has yeah. been pretty good as well yeah that one i like stumbled on over my new year's uh, research but yeah yeah these um this is all really helpful but i think i would think about but the the, the advice i have here is and this is probably just me being from the South where we didn't have much money or like the thinking on it's like basically people have their conceived notions of the South. But I think I love to keep things simple. So for example, most of our stuff is still Zapier and Google sheets and just pulling from basic tools, but funnel is like probably the next level for us. And then wicked reports, if we ever get to that point, 
But yeah. I, I just like to keep it simple because you just don't need to complicate things when you're just starting. Agreed, agreed. Um, I feel like maybe I've kind of ans- asked this one, but how what what kind of metrics are you looking for success? I guess I did maybe earlier say when do you know how much time or or what budget, but maybe also metric. Of course, sales, but is and you talked you talked about the funnel already, where there's like you know, are you talking to the right people? Are they clicking? Are they viewing? Are they you know, buying, um, are those the metrics? I mean, how many metrics? Is it one metric? I guess it may be like you just said, your three different stages of business, probably just the first metric when you're starting, are you just looking at my sales or are you looking at the other stuff, I guess? Yeah. So what I look for is I look for a couple things is if I think about my three metrics that I, I talked to my, my team about is the biggest one is ROI. What's your return on investment that you're getting on the platform? Because if it's negative, <laughs> easy answer there, right? If you don't think you're going to convert that, easy answer, remove that. So for ROI. But the problem with ROI is this, which is that a loan is not quite as good as it could be because you can have, let's say, let's say I spend a dollar and I get a $10, 10 sale, right? Then you're looking at a 10,000 or you're looking at a thousand percent ROI, but it doesn't look impressive because you just made $9 and you can't scale, right? So the second thing I think about is what's the profit that's being brought in? So not the sales because the profit, encounters two things, which is one, what is the cost per, what's the cost per conversion? And of course, what's the order value that they have? Okay. So that's like the second metric I look at. So ROI, just to make sure that the platform's working. Profits, just to see how much profit we're actually bringing in. And the third, if you, when you're first starting out and you're still trying to figure out a metric, and we still do this as a pulse check, is what's the cost per, in the case, cost per acquisition, cost per purchase, depending on what you use for for us it'd be cost per purchase it's kind of like let's imagine let's i'm using an example here is that imagine that you're selling let's say you're selling i'll use an example i use like yoga mats so i just bought a yoga mat for about 30 usd and let's just imagine that i'm running this business and it cost me 25 usd to acquire a five dollar purchase all in i'm making five dollars can i scale that which is where the roi and the profits come in but if i'm making like Per, but if it, it costs me like $40 to make one yoga mat and I know they're not going to be repeat customers, this is going to be negative in the long term. So I'd like to keep those three metrics. There are other metrics people like to talk about, like, for example, cost per lead, cost per visit, cost per yeah. click. I think those are like early metrics, but I call them vanity metrics because mm. they make you look good. So I'll, I'll show you a story of Jump Cut where I thought I was a genius. It turned out I was a complete idiot. Uh-oh. So... <laughs> So at Jump Cut, we, we sell information products. We sell online courses. But the online courses aren't like $7. They're like in the hundreds and so forth. And one of, one of the early things when I was learning Facebook, I was like trying to figure out which countries would be good to go to. Like they have low cost for purchase. So you can get them for a lot cheaper relative to the US. And one of the things I did was I, I, I targeted these two countries. I'll tell you which countries in a bit. And I drove something. It's like, wait, cost per lead. So this is the vanity metric, cost per lead. Whoa, so our average cost per lead, let's say that was like $3 or something. Whoa, these cost per leads are like 30 cents and like 17 cents. This is amazing. Pump up, pump up, spend more, spend more, spend more. And then I'm like, we're getting more leads. I'm like, oh my gosh, this looks great. We're getting way too many, we're getting leads. They're coming in, they're going through our, our, our sales process. Everything's fantastic. Fast forward two weeks and it's literally negative 100 ROI on all of them. I was like, wait, how does this make sense? We have like 17 cent leads and we also have 30 cent leads. There's so much room for error compared to like these $3 leads. I, I, so I don't get it. And then I looked at it, I was like, oh wait, these countries are India and Vietnam. Mm. I literally just asked them to spend a month's worth of earnings on a course. Yeah. That is taught in English. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the the vanity, right? Is like, had you just had I just focused on cost per lead, it would have been a a very bad metric for us to to keep on. So again, it's not it's not not that you don't monitor it, but just realize that the ultimate goal is to be to be what is your cost per acquisition. So I'll tell you, like for example, certain platforms, their cost per lead is very cheap, but their cost per acquisition is very high. Like for example, from the examples we had, like YouTube, you can get leads for much cheaper than Facebook. But the purchasing power of someone who is on YouTube isn't as much for certain audiences. So as a result, the cost per purchase is much higher. So I, if, if, I, if I could only have one metric from my team, it would be how much does it cost for them to, for us to acquire them as a customer? And if I could get a second one, obviously, it's how much money do we make for them? And from there, I can calculate everything else. Got it. Okay. This is great. Yeah, thanks for sharing your, uh, your learnings. The hard, the hard no, school of hard knocks is always the best, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, this, 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 I, 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 I almost call it the school of Davis's bank. Oh. <laughs> oh, man. So your story is great. I mean, you chatted a little bit at the beginning about it, but let's hear your own growth story. You know, my consulting offer... You've you've grown it fast uh, to 100k a month uh, from what I've read, yeah. and uh, I'd love to hear how you did it, and uh, you know how people can learn from that. Yeah, absolutely. So my consulting offer started off as a, a side hustle business when I was working at JumpCut, as I mentioned. It's like well, all we do is we just do two things very simply at a very high level. We help people students get interviews and then we also help them pass the interviews and get the job so as i mentioned one of the most lucrative careers you can have when you're at these one of these schools is like an ivy league or so forth is something called management consulting so it's kind of like being a six-figure person right out of college and then you're like basically a millionaire by your 30s and so forth unless you're living in san francisco then that's another realm which i was in but the but the point is that it, it really sets you up your career for success like for example if you think about the ceo of google the ceo of Sheryl sandberg of Facebook, and you think about like even the founder of Zenga, the the game company, and there's a bunch of other CEO of Pepsi at one point. Like all these people came from management consulting, so it's kind of like it skyrockets you to this high position. So people want it. The problem is that consulting firms, on average, take about one to two percent of the people who apply. So it's actually easier to make the MBA as a college basketball player, yeah. or like to get into Harvard if you're just like a high school student, than it is to actually get into management consulting. Super hard, right? And there are already tech already that came in the crop. And so my thing was that because I was on the, the team that helped decide who gets interviews and offers and things like that at Bain, so can I transfer that knowledge into helping others? And so I, I started doing that. I took 13 people I found on Reddit, like I mentioned, and so I built the company. And then it was just a side business for me to eventually just pay off some debt in the beginning, uh, some medical debt, and then later on just took on his life as his own. But if I had to think about the, the three messages that made it successful is yes, we did go from like growth channel to growth channel, but really I think the biggest mover and we have the numbers to back this up is referrals tend to be like the biggest one for us it's kind of like people really loved our service so they go through and and they see all the reviews so we do reviews we do video reviews of people actually using our service and so forth and how they feel about it and that's been really helpful and i think about beyond just growth hacking is like sustainable growth hacking is some sam sam altman who is the who's i think he's the current president as he stepped down already of y commenter he said this thing is that Short-term growth hacking is great because you get leads, but long-term nothing is better for growth hacking than word of mouth. Mm. And it's like so true, right? It's like no cost at all yeah. for acquisition. And it's just, so I always think about how do I make a product that stands out that differentiates itself from everything else? And of course the, the listeners here don't need to speak louder, but it's like 
take your, any of your friends who do work in the supplement space, they probably have some kind of angle or some sort of benefit that they're trying to stand out in the market. It's like, oh, this is the only one formula for women who are busy professionals at law firms or something like that. It's kind of like figuring out how to make your product as lovable to your audience as possible. And for us, it was getting, basically getting them results, getting them offers at these consulting firms. And so we were averaging like nine, 100% to start with, then 90% overall just to get them a job. It's kind of like I'm telling you, you have a 90% job of getting the six-figure job. Yeah, well, paying, paying a few thousand is not going to hurt you. If, you're, okay. if you know that you're going to make like 8 million expected earnings yeah. in your lifetime. That's all good ROI, like you said earlier. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nice. Okay. Well, then it's really happy to hear this, your, your success here. And uh, yeah, we've been in a fascinating conversation. Like I said, I think we'll get you on, a, on another, another show if we can. Um, but maybe we can start to wrap up a little bit. So the listener today may be, I think we usually have people already in business, but maybe they want it. Maybe they're in one competitive channel right now. They're stuck. They're scared. Maybe they're even afraid to go into a channel or you know, maybe it's, what would you, I, I know we said take action, but do they do this themselves? Do they need, there's a lot of agencies, you know, that can do paid ads, especially in Amazon or other ones, or should this something they should try to do themselves or should they hire an agency or what, what should they do next? Maybe. So it depends on the stage, right? If you can afford an agency and you know the agency is good, then it's free money. But if you don't know an agency that's going to crush it, my, my own thing is I always like to go back to first principles and foundations. And for me, it's always thinking about where is your audience? And does it have to be online? Can it be offline? Like for us, a lot of the, the marketing we do is actually offline as well. Like working with school partnerships, going to places like Yale, going to places like MIT, going to Berkeley, places like that, or National University of Singapore while I'm over here. It's kind of okay. like going there and just figuring out those events. But an analogy I'll use is that, so I, I had a friend who sold a product and I, I, I know people don't like to sell their products, but I'll tell you like, he basically sell podiums, right? So think about the, 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 the podiums you go when you go to a conference, somebody has to sell those podiums, right? Yeah. And of course, he's like, oh, yeah, I need to ship it online. I was like, dude, who uses your podiums? Like, he's like, oh, the speakers. I was like, why are you not at speaking events? And why are you not at like Toastmasters, which is like literally 300,000 people who are trying to be speakers and improve? They need a podium. He was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Let me ask sponsor on these conferences. Boom. Quick ROI right there, right? So it's kind of like sometimes people think about this shiny object is where where is my golden bullet? And sometimes you just got to think a little deeper. And my final my question is always my buyers, where are they hanging out and how do I get to them? And then from there, I'll figure out the channels and platforms. Like for us, our, our audience, a lot of them are on Reddit and that's why I'm on Reddit. But if they happen to be on, let's say they were on Instagram or Twitter, I would be on Instagram or Twitter. Okay. Makes sense. Makes sense. So um where so finding you online where's where's the of course my consulting offer.com right pretty easy dot org, but yeah i know oh, i have dot org, excuse me i have both so it goes the same way <laughs> oh, okay good good at least i didn't send it to some some squatter <laughs> but awesome uh is that the best place and then what are some other what other things you're up to or uh, how can people reach out yeah, absolutely. I'm super easy to learn. So I, I'll send this out, but people can find me on LinkedIn. I'll, I'll send you the LinkedIn so you don't have to search it. My, my personal blog, davidswin.com, I'll, I'll send that as well in the notes because my last name is a little hard to spell. And then, of course, myconsultingoffer.org. Super easy. Like, literally, there's a contact form. And if you reach out to Davis, my team will forward that to me. I pretty much read all my... I, I love being inbox zero, as in it is, it's getting harder and harder. It's but, hard, man. I don't know how you can do that. Jeez. 
Uh, wait, that's probably another episode of my whole <laughs> yeah. process about how I do it. I have it. a couple of show ideas already, but this has been <laughs> really great, Davis. Thanks so much for sharing openly about it, all this. I'm sure people listen, listening learned a lot. So um, thanks again. All right, Mike, my uh, honor's all mine. Thank you, Alpha Rock Capital. Just raised another investment round and it was a successful one. It's a pleasure to be a partner here and I'm down here in Manila spending much more needed face time with the team. If you're interested to get some exposure to Amazon FBA without actually having to get involved in the daily operations, investing in Alpha Rock is a good opportunity. Check it out at www.alpharockcapital.com and there is a connect button where you can connect with one of our biz dev people. After finishing that intro clip, I felt like I was a little bit of a downer. I mean, that show was amazing. Davis is a really smart guy, and he's built an amazing business. Really, really, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing. We really enjoyed that, both of us. I think he could have gotten to the Asia angle at the beginning of the interview. We were talking about that, right? The uh, immigrant, his family immigrating to America from Vietnam, and that that's a pretty uh, intense story. Maybe we should have a story episode in the future, and... And uh, we also got him interested in the cross-border summit. I really want him to share there. It's going to be amazing. Um, thank you again, Davis. Um, and so some growth hacking for us. I mean, this podcast has really been an amazing way to quote-unquote growth hack. I mean, connecting with amazing people like him. Hopefully, he can share it with his community. You know, sharing is caring. And that's one way a lot of podcasts grow is, you know, get the uh, experts onto the show, learn and connect with amazing people and uh, and get them to also share it to their networks. That's one definite hack. Uh, I know podcasting is a lot of work uh, as I'm doing it right now. And uh, honestly, it's a little bit tough every week. You got to grind. You got to do it or at least your schedule. Some, you know, it doesn't have to be a weekly show, but um, it's definitely something to consider adding to your business to connect with people in your audience and your community. Um, we're just putting stuff out there, you know, and uh, it's great. I build relationships with amazing people like Frederick at China Portal sent me the bat soup <laughs> pictures and articles. I don't know. I don't know if I believe that's how this this coronavirus got there you know i don't know i guess that's the story um i have my conspiracy theories i don't i don't know there's a few different conspiracy theories you know thinking it's manufactured and somehow escaped a laboratory like a like the movies you know like but it doesn't seem that crazy to me um Still trying to think of what to do, but, you know, of course, talking to my wife on WeChat as always, and, uh, but they're getting really strict about what you say on WeChat. They're, they're really, they're really cracking down. I mean, as you may or may not know, it's monitored and anything you say or do on that platform is controlled and monitored and restricted by the, um, people in the north of China. So just keep that in mind. Sorry, I'm going to keep this, this one a little bit shorter, but... Uh, my my uh, one of my old professors in New Jersey, Stevens Tech, where I went, reached out to me about this coronavirus, and he's he follows my blog and vlog, and he says uh, I should definitely write some more articles about my experiences as an American with a wife, and my wife and kids are in China, and I you know I'm in I'm in the Philippines, and that perspective, uh, he says he can help me get in some editorials in the U.S. It's definitely a crazy feeling. You, you, what do you? What kind of feeling? You're just like helpless. You're just like talking to them on WeChat, hoping to, hoping my WeChat account stays open. Nothing negative. I because she doesn't use any of the VPN kind of stuff, but she's uh, 
trying to teach her that, but she has no way to get information outside of China. So um, it's really uh, it's really an interesting, of course, interesting is maybe not the most uh, cool keyword, but you know, mm, perspective. Um, I still am confident it will not affect my family. I don't know if I'm jinxing myself here, but we have strong, healthy people. You know, it's mostly affecting um, elderly uh, right now, from what I've understood. And, uh, you know, they're staying safe. They're staying home. I mean, it's Chinese New Year. It's kind of, it's bad and good. It's during Chinese New Year, but uh, it's the biggest migration of people in the world, right? So if it stops earlier, Mm, what's going to happen if it stops earlier, you know? Uh, I mean, if they, they're actually talking about extending Chinese New Year because it's true. If like a billion people, whatever, and a crazy amount of people is traveling with, and some of those percentages are sick and they're going to spread it more. So I think it'll be a longer Chinese New Year. But it's also nerve-wracking. Even Alpha Rock and other Amazon sellers or people buying from factories, when is these factories going to open? How long will the factory stay on Chinese New Year? You know, what if you run out of stock? What are you going to do? really uh really weird times i mean but definitely it's just like another negative to china you know there's a trade war um battle for so long with tariffs and now there's this i mean it's just uh it's got to be a lot of pressure on the chinese uh leaders let's just call it leaders and see if see how they get out of this one i you know I'm sitting here waiting, but also some of my own trips to Hong Kong got canceled, and uh, business meetings in uh, Shenzhen got canceled. I was supposed to go there end of uh, February, but uh, that got canceled. Life has been really, really wild, you know, the volcano here in Manila, and now the coronavirus in China. I wear masks everywhere. I guess you just got to realize life is really delicate, and uh, you got to just stay healthy, stay strong, get your rest, eat well, you know, sleep well. I'm so, I've been doing that for years. You know, I don't. I haven't drank alcohol in years. So, I hope you guys enjoyed today's show, and thank you so much. See you next week. Got amazing interviews. I mean, seriously, I've been so impressed with the amazing speak uh, guests that been, we got amazing ones lined up. I mean, we're backlogged with great guests. So, hope you all enjoy, and maybe give me a review on M- iTunes or uh, <laughs> Amazon iTunes or. Uh, Give me, uh, you know, some kind of feedback. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.